guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Melissa, and you are listening to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast, where we pop bottles and celebrate some of the world's greatest women. If you are new here, welcome to the show. We have 70 plus incredible podcast episodes for your binging pleasure full of incredible women who have made massive impacts on history, society, the world. And we also have a really cool segment that features the everyday woman that is alive and well and kicking ass today. It's great. We've got a great thing going over here and I'm so happy you found us. So I really hope you enjoyed today's episode And for everybody else, welcome back to the pod. I love you and I am feeling so much happiness, gratefulness, excitement over the fact that in the next couple of days, I will be hitting my three-year podcast anniversary on June 22nd of 2018 was the day that this podcast officially went live on Apple Podcasts. And boy, was that a wild feeling. I was so unbelievably excited and ecstatic. And I'll never forget how good that felt. And to be honest, that that same feeling that I felt three years ago is still very much alive and well in my body, in my heart, and in my soul today. And I think that says a lot. And that's why I am just so ridiculously excited that I'm still here three years later. There's been a lot of ups, a lot of downs. This podcast has gone through some shit But I've worked really hard over the years to keep this show alive and to pump out, you know, the best episodes that I can give you guys. So I really hope you've enjoyed it over the past couple of years. And I'm just very excited to see what the future holds. So thank you to everybody that stuck along with me. It means the world. And I just want you to know that I really, 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 really do appreciate you. And I love you a lot. <laughs> so thank you. All right. Well, today we have a really great women's history episode for you. And we're doing a fun theme here today. We decided to make this episode a tribute to not only Pride Month but also Juneteenth, which is in the next couple of days. So Ricky Bell is back on the mic with me today. She is on her fourth guest hosting episode with me, and I'm sure you remember her. She started off as a fan of this podcast, and today, one year later, she is not only 
a consistent guest host, but she's a really great friend of mine. So super excited to have Ricky back on the show. We have a great episode for you guys today. I'm not going to waste much time because I want to just hop into it. But I do want to ask you a quick favor, and that is to help spread the Mimosa Sisterhood word. We're three years into this, and all I see is a bright future ahead. And you can play a really, really huge role into keeping that bright light shining. And some of the ways in which you can help me do this is, of course, number one, by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, but I know most of you have already done that because you're MVPs, baby. But some other ways that you can help are just sharing on social media. It's 2021. Everybody stares at their phones 100 hours a day and they see what their friends are posting. And so something as simple as resharing one of my podcast social media clips to your stories or screenshotting the Apple podcast episode playing on your phone and tagging me in it on social media. Like if there's ever an opportunity to tell another person about this podcast, it goes so unbelievably far because word of mouth recommendations are the number one way that we can expand, we can continue growing, and that we can reach people out there in the world that don't know that we exist but have been looking for a podcast just like this for years. So yeah, just a little food for thought there. All right, well, let's just, let's get into it. Pride, Juneteenth, we got this. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Ricky, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hi. Hi. This is episode four for you. It is. I'm so excited. And I was just thinking this morning, I feel like this is the month that we first recorded in last year. I feel like that's right. It's been a whole year since whole our first year recording. Of being besties. <laughs> is it crazy? How it Is that is a weird crazy. thought? Yeah, no, it's so weird because, like, I started off being, like, a fangirl and now I'm like, oh, yeah, Melissa, my friend. <laughs> I'm just going to be, like, recording a podcast this Sunday, no big deal. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> As usual. So wild, but so cool. Again, just another example of how interesting life is, how yes. weird life is. But I love all the weird and interesting because here you are and you've been a guest four times and people love you. So just keep coming back, please. Okay. You don't even have to ask. Anytime. I'm pretty sure I bought you your first mic after our first recording. You did. I like got this Amazon package and I was like, first of all, I know that I order things in my sleep sometimes, but... I know I did not order anything from Amazon. And so I opened it and there was like a little note in there and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yes. You didn't ask, but I'm telling no. you. <laughs> now I'm stuck. <well, well, thank you for being here and for always 
doing fantastic research and amazing presentations and you've brought such awesome women to this podcast and yeah we're just we're amped on it so one year anniversary what else is going on school just ended for you um yeah but i'm doing summer school until july 2nd oh god is summer school something you volunteer for or they make you do no purely volunteer work (laughs) Well, okay, I'm getting paid, but, like, I volunteered to do it. And it's all digital this year, so I don't have to actually, like, see the children. And it's easy. So, I don't remember. Is summer school for bad kids or just kids? It's, like, kids who, like, have either failed (laughs) or they want to, like take classes that they don't want to take during the school year so like government or economics or something okay cool because i have this like brief memory of me having to take summer school one year and remembering it wasn't for the for good like it was like you better get your shit together bitch you got one last chance i've never had to do summer school yeah i have well i will say a hail mary for you thank you i uh I had originally had a woman in mind for today that I wanted to cover specifically with you, but then we rerouted and we picked a different theme for the show, which we'll announce shortly. But since we're on the topic of English and literature and school, I'm curious if you, you have to know of this woman, but I'm curious if you know all of the details of her life. So the person I was going to cover today was Zelda Fitzgerald. No, I don't know everything about her, but F. Scott Fitzgerald is by far my favorite author of all time. Is he? Yes. So every time I teach Gatsby, like I go into this like history of his life and his wife, like I know quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but oh man. Oh, that's so good. That's such a good one. (laughs) It's so good. Well, I could just save it for next time. No, you have to. And you can't do any research on her in the meantime. No, I will not. I will not. I will keep it. I will not. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Yeah. So they had a really wild, fucked up marriage. But we're going to save that story for another episode later down the road. Yes, because you already know I'm coming back. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. Well, what else? Is anything else going on? What's happening with the biz? Um, nothing. I just released the Pride stuff because it's Pride Month and that's going well. But other than that, I'm just chilling. Nobody's really ordering anything right now. I guess I better make something else so I can pay my bills. (laughs) (laughs) What, that summer school's not cutting it? (laughs) (sighs) Nah, (laughs) it's not. You know what, though? What I love about 2020 if there's one thing that we can pick out to love, it's that everybody was like, fuck the system. I don't trust shit. Nothing's reliable. I need to have my own side hustle. Yeah. Like, I need to be able to financially support myself with or without some, you know, job that hired me. Oh my gosh, that's so true. And so my friend Megan is actually getting married this coming Saturday. And since I have a cricket, she was like, hey, like, do you think we could make like some of the signage like for the wedding? And I was like, yeah, okay. So we got like these acrylic sheets and then put like the vinyl on there with the words. 
and like painted the back of them. They look so good. Really? I, yes. And then we looked them up on Etsy and like the welcome sign that says like, welcome to our wedding. Selling for like $150. Bitch, Whoa. I'm about to quit my job. I swear <laughs> to you. <laughs> okay. So that's incredible though. The ways in yes. which you can expand outward from t-shirts. Yes. That's like that passive income shit that they talk about all the time, you know? Yes. You know what? I saw this, um, this, I'm in like a Facebook group for female entrepreneurs and Mm -hmm. I saw this post, somebody asking so-and-so people about their side hustles, blah, blah, blah. And this woman literally commented that last year she got like fired from her job or whatever, laid off. And she started her own business reselling clothes on Poshmark and that she's now making more money than her actual job, her annual salary from the job that she had been working for. Reselling clothes on Poshmark. Like her own clothes? <laughs> like, or like, I don't even, like maybe even buying clothes from like getting clothes from Goodwill, Salvation Army, like thrift stores, and then like reselling them for a higher amount. That is so smart. And then this girl that I went to college with, she sent me a TikTok the other day and I was like, if you have really good handwriting, like you could make $30 for writing somebody a card or like a handwritten note. And I'm like, I have good handwriting. The fuck? Crazy, right? You can't tell me nothing. I'm about to be rich. (laughs) We really need to get it together. That's what I'm saying. The fact that this lady can make a business on Poshmark. Like, that pays her more than her last job did? Like, that's what I'm saying. Jobs are done. Jobs are canceled. We're they done. Really, they We're they done really with jobs. have to be. Yeah. I, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Right? I'm, I need to meet this woman. I need to join that group. I know. That's or wild. getting on that passive income thing. My boyfriend's like, why are you up till three in the morning every night? Because my brain is doing fucking backflips 24 hours a day, and it never stops. <laughs> this is what I think about till 3 a.m. <laughs> I wish the people that are listening to this could see you right now. Because <laughs> it's by far the funniest thing. Plus, <laughs> it's like pointing to her forehead like, my brain is thinking. <sighs> yeah. It's That's so funny. It's crazy. Well, I don't know how we got into entrepreneur talk, but I enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> no, that was good. That was a good one. <laughs> All right. That's well, good. maybe we should start talking about women in podcasts. But of course, first, are we drinking? Are you drinking? It's in the afternoon. It's Sunday. What's happening over there? It is. Well, I have a graduation party to go to after Today? This. Yeah. Oh, shit. So I can't get like drunk. But I'm having my favorite White Claw, a nice yes. blackberry. That blackberry is so good. They just need to make a pack of blackberry. I think That's they a- have that, don't they? No, they do not. Oh. Just blackberry. That's all I need. You know there are people on TikTok that hate people that like blackberry. Well, they can give them all to me and they can have that nasty-ass black cherry because that shit's Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, Melissa. The black cherry. I didn't know there was a blackberry. Yeah, it's new. Is this new? Yeah, they came out with blackberry. That's why I didn't know what was going on in my head. I'm like, blackberry. And strawberry. Okay, we don't have those yet. What the fuck? I have not seen a new pack of White Claw. The best. It's the best. All right, heading straight to the liquor store after this. What in the world is going on? I'll just mail them to you. 
Amazing. Yeah, let me see. What does it look like? Let me see that the cloth. It's, pur- it's purple. Okay, yeah. We don't have this. I'm offended. This is it's, rude. It's so good. It's the best one that they have. All right. Well, yeah, this is turning into my Sunday plan. Yeah, you got to go. You got to go try to find it. After I drink this gallon of Cook's champagne, I don't even know how many ounces this is, but like it's basically a handle. Like if you were to buy a handle of vodka, this is a handle of champagne. It's huge. (laughs) You're going to have the worst headache. (laughs) Well, it's only 11 o'clock, almost 12 now here. And uh, that's my mimosa drinking hour. And it's Sunday. And I already told you, but yesterday I was at Costco and I was like, oh, shit, I need to get champagne for tomorrow. So I head to their liquor area. And I'm like, why would I spend $15 for a regular sized bottle of champagne when I could spend $7.99 for a handle of champagne? A literal (laughs) handle. So I got the handle of Cook's bubbly and i was like even if i only drink a quarter of this it's still cost effective yes so i'm buying it i'm gonna have to <laughs> text you tomorrow to see where your head's at yeah it's gonna be a, actually a long day of drinking today so this is just my pre-game to be honest um but yeah we're doing mimosas guys and i love that because i need to drink more mimosas on this show yeah you do but that's hard to do when you record podcasts at eight o'clock at night usually true True. So that's why I love our weekend podcast, because I can pop out my bubs. What kind of orange juice do you use? Tropicana, baby. Okay, okay. And same similar story. The last time I bought this, I was at Whole Foods, and I was like, oh shit, we need some orange juice. I'm not going to pay $20 for fresh squeezed organic orange juice. So I went to the liquor store and got this fucking giant beast for $1.99. Why not? Orange juice is orange juice, especially yeah. if you're just mixing it. Like, yeah, sounds like it's like mm, oh, the pulp. our 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 hand squeezed orange juice for twenty five dollars, and no. it's like ten ounces. Like, give me a break. Yeah. No, that's like a sip of no, orange you juice. I don't want to chew my orange juice either. No, Ew, that made me want to throw up. <laughs> Their pulp, the orange, the pulpy orange juice that they do, it's literally like you're chewing through Ooh. your OJ. Oh, I it's don't a, like it's that. too much for me. I don't like that idea at all. On a similar chewing topic, are you into coconut water? No. Have you ever Ew. had that? No. <laughs> it has those chunks of coconut. No, I don't like drinking I don't want anything from a coconut. I don't want anything to do with coconut. I think it's foul. And, like, those people that are making, like, the nature's cereal or whatever mm-hmm. on TikTok, like, shut up. You know that shit's nasty. Shut up. Is that when they were, like, pouring yes into, what was it? No, it's, uh, like, coconut water, and then they pour oh, it yes, on yes, top yes, of, yes, like, yes. berries and yes. shit. Like, get Didn't the fuck out of here. some fucking celebrity invent that? Who did that? L- Lizzo. Okay, that's what I thought. I can't. Like, just fucking eat the berries and drink the damn <laughs> coconut water if that's what you want to do. Yeah, that does not sound good to me. No, that's foul. No. And then she, like, put, like, pieces of ice in it. Like, I can't. Yeah. That's no, gross. thank you. I'll just... No. I'll just have a fried egg and some toast. Like, <laughs> I'm good. Shit. I will eat the bacon. I don't care. Don't For care. For real. 
All right. Well, let's let's do this. So I already mentioned we I came at Ricky a couple days ago and was like, I have an idea. (laughs) We should make this a themed episode. I know I have already done an entire week's worth of research on Zelda Fitzgerald, but we can cover her any day. It's It's June. We're celebrating Pride this month. Juneteenth is coming up. And let's do, let's combine the two together and make this a Pride Juneteenth episode. And Love I think it. it's so cool because, like we already said, this time last year, unplanned, I covered Marsha P. Johnson, one of the fierce leaders that brought Pride even into existence after yes. she went to war in the Stonewall riots. And you covered Dr. Maya Angelou. I did. Our first recording ever. It was so good. I know. So I thought, let's do it again, baby. We're switching it up this time, though. Ricky, Ricky's taking pride. I'm taking Juneteenth. And we got some good stories to tell you guys today. So. Yeah, we're so ready. And Ricky, you're going to kick it off for us. I am. I'm so excited. So when we decided that I was going to cover pride, I was like, well, I don't really know much about pride. I mean, like... Obviously, I know Marsha and, like, Stonewall, but I wanted to cover something else. And so today I'm covering a woman named Ruth Charlotte Ellis, or Ruthie. So she was born July 23rd, 1899. Wow. Yeah. We're Mm -hmm. throwing it back. Like, back, dusty. In Springfield, Illinois, and she was with her family, obviously, and there was only a few black people in her town during this time. So she kind of grew up in integrated neighborhoods, and her family experienced lots of discrimination, and they were barred from going to restaurants and theaters and other public facilities. Her dad, his name was Charlie, he was a self-educated man who had been a slave, but ended up becoming the first African-American mail carrier in Illinois. Oh, my God. No yeah. way. Isn't How that so funny. Cool? Mail yes. carrier, stagecoach, yes. Mary Fields. Yes. I, that's exactly what I thought about as soon as I read that. I was like, oh, I have to say this. So her mom died when she was only 12. And she was once quoted as saying, my mother died just about the time I started menstruating. So she showed me that. But from then, nobody told me anything. And I can't even imagine because she grew up with her dad and then three older brothers. So, like, there were no sisters, just her. But she knew that she was attracted to women at an early age. So, um, at age 16, she was attracted to her high school gym teacher who (laughs) – is going to sound so weird. It's just (laughs) – I know, I know. The the theme of every, like, movie ever. (laughs) I know. Seriously. (laughs) That damn female gym teacher. Damn gym teacher. (laughs) But it was like, I think it was more of like a respect kind of thing because Mm. they had to like hold hands to do something in gym and the teacher was the only person that would hold her hand because she was black. So I think it was more of that. Mm -hmm. But she didn't really have anybody to talk to about the way she was feeling. But she says that she never really had to come out. Because she never felt the need to hide her sexual orientation from her father or her brothers. They were pretty open. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, so that's awesome. 
So she graduated high school in 1919. And at the time, the when fewer than 7% of African Americans graduated from high school, she was able to do that. So that was awesome. And then in the 1920s, she met the only woman that she ever lived with, a lady named Ciceline Babe Franklin. Both of them were encouraged by the promise and the idea of making more money. And so they moved to Detroit in 1937, where she was essentially just a nanny and like took care of this little like seven-year-old boy. Soon after, she put her printing press knowledge that she had picked up back in Illinois, and she worked to secure a position with a company that printed things. So while she worked at this printing press, she decided that she had all of the knowledge that she needed to start her own printing press business. Dang. She fucking did. Yeah. So her and Babe bought a house, and I guess she got money from some sort of inheritance. I don't really know, like, the specifics, but... She started a printing press shop in the front of her house. See, right on theme with our entrepreneur. No such thing as jobs. You just handle it, babe. She Like, she's (laughs) killing it. So she also taught herself photography, and she ran the printing company and the darkroom out of her home, too. So she created stationery, flyers, posters, raffle tickets for churches and small businesses around Detroit. She was killing it. Um, She was the first woman in Michigan to have her own printing business. Um, And at the time, African-American women owned less than 1% of the business in Detroit. Oh, wow. Yeah. So from the 1940s to the 1960s, Ruth and Babe's home kind of became a gathering spot for the African-American LGBTQ community. They had lots of social venues. They Sorry, they didn't have a lot of social venues at the time. And so all of these youth were coming to her and Babe's house. Um, And it was known in the community as the gay spot. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) So people gathered there to sing, dance, play cards. She became a source of support for the LGBTQ youth. um, And she was known to buy books and food for the young people, and she even helped a lot of them with their college tuition. Nice. Which is so cool. Yeah. Her and Babe separated in 1960 after 30 years together. Dang. You wonder what would even cause a separation like that. I know. Like, at that point, I'd be like, well, we're just here. Yeah, right? Yeah, because they, like, remained friends, so that was weird. After they separated, Ruth retired and moved into a senior citizens complex in downtown Detroit. It's really hard for me to think that, like, because 1960s, I feel like, wasn't that long ago. But, like, she was also born in 1899. So, like, she was hecka old. Yeah. She saw a shitload of stuff. Great Depression. So much stuff. The roaring 20s and 30s, the sexual revolution, all of the equal rights activism. All of it. Like, that's crazy. That's so crazy. So although they were no longer together, Ruth and Babe shared keys to each other's residencies. And their friendship continued until 1975 when Babe suffered a heart attack on her way to work and died. (gasps) I know. Ruth is quoted as saying, I didn't think it was love, but she was good for me. She taught me how to take care of myself. 
Ruth remained active after the loss of Babe, um, and she took up more photography and bowling. <laughs> she must like, have been a senior citizen then. Yes. Like, she was <laughs> thriving with her little bowling ball. Oh, my God. I love it. I was looking through pictures of her, and she is by far the cutest little old lady ever Aww. in life. And, like... There was this article that I read, I'll have to send it to you, where they have, like, pictures of her handwritten notes, and I'm, like, looking at them, and her handwriting looks exactly like my grandma's. Like, no way! Yes. I showed my, I, like, woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, Mom, you have to look at this. And so I sent it to her, and she was like, that's weird. That's crazy. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. So um, she traveled often, and she began helping out other senior citizens who lived by, and she was running errands for them and picking up their groceries, and less than a week after her 70th birthday in 1969, the riots at Stonewall shook the country, yeah, and launched the modern LGBTQ rights movement. And this sudden surge in the community made Ruth something of a community celebrity, yeah. She was often invited to speak at national events, and she became a fixture at Michigan's Women's Music Festival. In the late 1980s, when she was in her 80s, uh, she attended self-defense classes. <laughs> what? Yeah. She's like, I'm going to become a black belt at 80? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> what? I'm telling you, when I am 80, like, don't talk to me. Don't ask me shit. Don't right? even look at me because I'm not trying to be nice to people. Oh my god, she's like in jujitsu. Yeah, like, <laughs> like kicking people's bro. asses. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if something sparked that. I think she just wanted to like stay active all the time. Yeah. Okay. But like my ass would be like, just leave me on the couch. Don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't touch me. So. She met this lady named Jay, who she correctly identified as a fellow lesbian, Um, and the two had dinner, and Jay began introducing Ruth around. So soon, crowds were lining up to dance with her at parties and social functions, where she developed a reputation for repeatedly wearing out dance partners on the dance floor. (laughs) (laughs) Ma'am. God. Yeah. So at the same time, in her 80s, she started getting all of these like awards and accolades and the public kind of took notice at how remarkable she was and how remarkable her life was. Her entrepreneurial skills and the assistance she provided for the younger LGBTQ community um, for several decades. And so she drew attention locally and nationally as the oldest African-American lesbian in Michigan and possibly the nation as she approached 100 years old. What? Holy shit. Yeah. Like, amazing. You know what, though? Like, probably all of that mental work with her business, the things she was making, creating, building, Mm -hmm. like... They always say, you know, not only do you have to be physically fit, not fit, but like be physical, like move yeah. your body, but also your brain. You right. got to keep your brain functioning because, yeah. you know, when people get old, they tend to just kind of like kick back and watch TV. But like 
nothing's functioning there. It's right. just like you turn into this vegetable and you're just yeah. like staring at like a computer screen basically and all the lights and stuff. It's like draining you almost, you know? Literally. And she was and like, so, no, fuck that. Yeah. She's like, Let nope, I'm keeping this brain and this body active. We doing it. I'm living till yeah. 100, baby. And I feel like <laughs> all of the people who are unproblematic in society live to be so old or at least like look like they're so young even though they're 100 years old you know yeah so i love that so there were multiple newspaper profiles written and photos were published lots of interviews and ruth even earned national awards um to her though it was kind of strange and funny because she thought she was just an ordinary person yeah and then also in her later years she traveled with a group called the golden threads um, and it was an organi- organization of older lesbians. <laughs> I wonder so, what the name references. Were they sewing? Like, what? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. So each year for her birthday, she would like go out to local schools and fairs and hand out Baby Ruth candy bars. Oh my God, how cute. I know. I just want to put her in my pocket. She was so cute. And so, um, for her 100th birthday, she planned to not only hand out candy bars, but she was quoted as saying that she would party all day. In fact, I think I'm going to party for two or three days. Why not? I'm going to have all kinds of people at my party, gay and straight. I think sometimes now there is a little bit too much separation. I love all kinds of people, and I'm going to dance for days. Booyah! Yeah, she was like... (laughs) Fuck all the bullshit. At a hundred years old. A hundred. Holy moly. I'm telling you, like, just put me in a fucking hole because there's no way. She clearly had a... She was sharp. Yeah. She was sharp. She had a lot of energy. Wow. And, like, there's pictures of her at a hundred years old and she looks like she's maybe, like, 70. Whoa. I'm telling you, black don't crack. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, in 1999, also on her 100th birthday, um, she led San Francisco's Dyke March, where thousands of women sang happy birthday to her at the first of Millie's many celebrations for the whole month. Holy shit. Yeah. What year was this? 1999. Okay, that makes sense, because San Francisco in the 80s, like, kicked out the lesbians, basically. Wow. They were like, fuck off, bitches. This is our town. We're gay dudes taking over SF. But then after the AIDS epidemic, it was only the lesbians that showed up for the gay guys that were dying. Right, right. So then they were like, all right, you can come back. Like, like there's room welcome. for the both of us, I guess. That's so bizarre. Like, wouldn't you want to, like, be together and acknowledge the fact that, like, that's so bizarre. This is a very interesting point though that we're making because a very common thing happens within my lady's story oh man I'm so and it's excited. the topic of men advocating for themselves above the women who belong to the exact same category as them yes yes okay yep all right so ruth <laughs> our sweet little ruthie lived to see her 101st birthday um, before quietly passing away in her sleep on October 5th, 2000, which is my birthday. Oh, my God. Ruthie and I are connected. 
Oh, so um, she lived from 1899 to 2000? Yes, she survived Y2K. Like, what? <laughs> Could you imagine living through an entire decade? No. 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 A century? <laughs> Is it a century? Yes. Oh, okay. I don't a know de- math. <laughs> a decade? What's a decade? <laughs> Ten years. Okay, yeah. Century. There, there we a go. century, yeah. Okay, got it. Century. Wild. That sounds nuts. Oh, yeah, you know, I just lived through the 19th century. No big. Yeah. Crazy. So, before she died, though, she dedicated the Ruth Ellis Center in Detroit, which was a social services agency that cared for homeless, runaway, and at-risk LGBTQ youth. And after her passing, her remains were cremated and spread in special places at the Women's Festival. Um, And some of her ashes even crossed the ocean and were spread in the sea in Ghana. And her 101 years of life impacted so many people. Her life is a symbol of change for not only Black people, but the LGBTQ community and women all over the world. Wow. That's so cool. So that's my little Ruthie. So cool. I have never heard of her. I know. about her. Yes, me neither. And I think it's so interesting because I feel like so many of the, like, leading figures in, like, historical LGBT history are mostly men or, like, trans women or... I've never heard of a lesbian. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. So interesting. Obviously, they're out there doing the damn thing and, like, just not getting that acknowledgement. I also love that she had these, like, underground meetups for gay people during what would have been what like the early 1900s yes we're like okay so not only are you lesbian but you're black too and you're inviting all these other black people to come to your house and like just have a good time like that's so unheard of yeah in detroit like that's crazy yeah when what was her full name again ruth charlotte ellis Wow, I've li- I, I'm, I'm honestly because, surprised I've never heard of her. Because if you just Google Ruth Ellis, a British serial killer, like this lady pops up <laughs> that killed her husband. And so you have to type in Ruth Charlotte okay. Ellis. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> because she is not a white murderer. So wild. It looks like there's a movie about her, too. Yeah, they did, like, a little documentary about her that's, like, an hour long. So cool. I'm looking at this picture of her just, like, with holding, like, a bouquet of, like, white roses. And she has, like, white hair, white outfit, white pearl earrings. Isn't she so cute? Yeah, she's really cute. So cool. I know. I'm stoked off of this. Thanks for her. introducing her to me. Of course. I just want to like know more. I'm like, tell me I know. more, tell me more, tell me more. I need to find her documentary so I can watch it because I love her. Yeah, I'll I'll try and hunt it down and put it in the episode description. I'm also just like interested to know if other leading figures in 
the Pride movement, like, ever referenced her during their advocacy. I know. Like, I know. was Marsha P. Johnson, was this somebody that she found inspiring? Or, like, right. did other people, you know, look at her as somebody who kind of helped pave the path for them? Exactly. And, like, it just makes me sad that they've had to, like, hide their authentic selves for so long. And, like, even now, people still don't. It still happens. Yeah. I bet you it, like, I mean, us in, like, California, like, on the East and West Coast where we're in these liberal big cities, it's, like, a free-for-all here. But I imagine in middle America, especially in, like, country towns, yeah, there are some, like, like barn Oklahoma. parties that are going down yeah. that has uh, to be. are top secret. <laughs> there has to be. Like, imagine coming out in Oklahoma like, well, here I am. Like, What a nightmare. Yeah, no way. It's crazy. And, like, it really is. I feel like those are the important things we need to always remember. Always. Not just during Pride Month, but just, like, you know, how this this problem is still very much existing yeah. in a lot of areas around the world. And, like, me, somebody who had celebrated many Pride celebrations in San Francisco, mm-hmm. thinking this is the greatest thing on earth, that was a fucking privilege to be standing on the streets in a bikini top, drunk as shit, you know, yeah. shooting confetti into someone's face. Right, right. That isn't real life. That's, no. like, a total illusion. Mm-hmm. I know. And, it like, we had... We had a pride in a city here called Hamilton yesterday, and it was beautiful. And, like, I just, I don't know. I just want people to authentically, like, be able to be themselves and not be afraid to be who they are. Yeah. One million percent. And I don't really think that that's going to be a thing until the older generation dies off, as fucked as that sounds. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Like the people that still say like colored people. Yeah. yeah, They got to (laughs) go. Well, I loved that. I am so stoked on Ruth. I am totally amped to learn more about her. I need to watch this documentary about her. What a cool lady. What a cool figure that I've never heard about. Yeah. So awesome. Love her. Well, I've got a good one today. And I was really excited about this because I had a couple of women in mind who I wanted to cover. And the person I'm covering today, I've absolutely heard of. The name is like, oh, yeah, duh, that person. But I really did not know a lot about her life. I knew she was a leading figure in the abolition movement. Like, I knew that she was important for black history Mm -hmm. i didn't know every detail about her and so i was like all right i'm gonna cover her because i don't know if she's lesser known to other people or just me but that's why i ended up picking her out of like five different women that i was just so amped about so today i'm gonna tell you all about sojourner truth (gasps) yes that's the first verse that popped in my head um only i just feel like when we're learning about black people in American history, it's always Sojourner Truth, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and maybe Frederick Douglass. Like, it's always those four. So, oh, and Harriet. Her- yeah. So I was like <laughs> thinking Harriet. At first, I was thinking Harriet. Yeah. And then I was like, I actually feel like I know less about Sojourner Truth than Harriet. Yeah. 
And so that's kind of why I picked her. Same. Yeah, I think she is lesser known than Harriet, but Sojourner is amazing. I'm so excited to hear all the deets. Yes. So, of course, this is going to include a lot of tragedy because of course. a massive portion of her life was devastating. Yeah. And that's that's just the fact. So, until she's no longer a slave, we're going to be talking about some really, really hard horrible things in her life and it's it's absolutely just complete sadness i was yeah. just like mortified reading about her and what she went through as well as millions of other people went through right and also i think it's interesting just another side note before i get started a couple weeks ago i saw that there was this television series it started on amazon prime the underground railroad Yes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I know what the Underground Railroad is. I've learned about it. But, like, I'm so interested in watching, like, an entire television series on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we started – we turned it on last weekend. Could not get through half of the first episode. Have you tried watching it? No. Yeah. It was – we did not finish episode one. It got to a point where both my boyfriend and I were like, we cannot watch this. It's horrifying. God. And this is just a television show on Amazon. And, like, that is insane because this is just pretend television depicting real life stuff and we can't even get through that. Yeah. Wow. That kind of stuff, like makes me like nauseous i know i know and so i was like i mean i of course expected that to be like the case i just didn't realize like how severe it was gonna be and it was really really severe so Mm. i like want to give it another shot because i want to watch this series but i mean i think there's going to be a lot of fast forwarding through things that are horrible yeah so we will get into it (laughs) So for, if anybody doesn't know out there, she was an abolitionist, a women's rights activist, and she was also a traveling preacher for a large portion of her life uh, out on the road speaking up about slavery. So she was born Isabella Bomfrey. So that was her the born name that she was given. So I'm going to just refer to her as Isabella for the entire first portion of this story until her name changes. Okay. So she was born in 1797 in Ulster County, New York, and both of her parents were slaves when she was born. So her dad was James, her mother was Elizabeth, and they lived on the property of a man named Colonel Hardenberg, and he had bought Isabella's parents from slave traders, and he kept them on his estate in this, like, little Dutch town like 95 miles north of like New York City. So she was born on this property and she grew up speaking Dutch because that was the language that was being spoken at this household and like within this small community. So around nine years old, she was sold at an auction for $100 and a flock of sheep to a really horrible man named John Neely. He was a bad, bad man. 
and he beat Isabella regularly. And as I mentioned, she spoke Dutch, so she did not know English when she was sold to this man's house where they only spoke English. And so she very quickly had to learn English because if she didn't understand what they were saying to her, they beat her. Oh, my God. She didn't speak the fucking language. Right. And they beat her when she couldn't communicate or understand what was happening. So she knew, like, well, fuck then. I better learn how to speak English quick. A few years later, she was sold again, this time for $105 to a tavern keeper named Martinus Scriver. And he kept her on his property for a little bit over a year And then he sold her to the worst human being in this story. His name was John Dumont. And he was, without a doubt, the absolute worst human being she would have to live with during her life as a slave. So this absolute demon of a human, if you can call him a human, raped her repeatedly. And this caused his equally psychotic wife to hate her because she was jealous of this non-consexual relationship. So therefore, his wife would harass Isabella and make her life a living hell, as if it wasn't a complete nightmare already. So two lunatics in this story. And just mortifying. Absolutely devastating. And then around 18 years old, Isabella met and fell in love with an enslaved man who was named Robert. He lived on a neighboring farm and they had this fling going for a while. They were totally in love. Um, I don't really know exactly how they met, but somehow they came across each other in the area and became friends and then became lovers and had a really good thing going. Now, this was all fine and dandy until Robert's slave owner discovered that this fling was going on and he got really pissed about it because he knew that if Robert and Isabella ended up getting pregnant with a child, he wouldn't have access to that baby as his slave when the baby got older because Isabella belonged to a different slave owner and that baby would be her child since the two were not married and didn't live under one slave owner. So, He basically was like, you are not allowed to see this woman ever again because I won't let you have a child be born that I can't own, was his mentality. Complete madness. That's fucking crazy. So this obviously ended the fling for a while, but Robert was adamant about continuing to see Isabella, and so he would occasionally sneak over to her farm, like, you know, late at night just to see her and, like, be with her. And that went on for a little bit until his slave owner caught on to what was happening, caught him in the act of trying to sneak out to see her, beat him so horribly that he practically almost died, and... Isabella never saw him again after that. That was the last time she ever saw Robert again. And then she would later come to find out just a a few short months later that he died. And we don't know exactly how he died, but I'm pretty sure we can guess how he ended up dying a few short months later. 
So this entire event of meeting Robert, falling in love with him, being 18 years old, living on this, you know, farm as a slave, but like finding a little bit of light in the, you know, this dark dooming place through Robert and then having him get almost beaten to death and then later die. This completely fucked her up. Like she was not okay after this happened. She, this haunted her for the rest of her life. So then she was eventually forced to marry an enslaved man from her own farm, and his name was Thomas. We don't know much about Thomas. I think he was a cool dude. I heard that he was, like, much older than her, but for the most part, I don't. I think they were just, like, two people that worked on this farm, and they were like, you guys have to get married and produce children. So that's just what happened. And Isabella went on to have a total of five children. Her first child was named James, and he died during childhood. I don't know how. Her second child was named Diana, and she was the result of a rape by her owner, John Dumont. So, not good. And then her three other children, Elizabeth, Sophia, and Peter, were all born from her husband, Thomas. So, five children in total, one died. And then in 1799... This was, like, the year that New York, as a state where she lived, decided they were going to start legislating the abolition of slavery. So the conversation was out and about. People knew that this was, like, a thing that was about to be happening. But this would ultimately take over two decades to, like, pass through. So while the conversation of the abolition of slavery was being talked about, it was going to take almost two decades to, like, pass. But... John Dumont promised Isabella that he would grant her freedom on July 4th, 1826, which was one year before the state's scheduled emancipation date. Like, he was going to do her a favor. Like, I'll let you free one year before I have to. Kind of thing. Thank you so much. (laughs) Right? Thanks. Thank you. Oh, my God. How kind. However, when the date arrived, he changed his mind. What a fucking surprise. And he claimed that a hand injury of hers had made her less productive for a certain amount of months that she was working on his farm, and therefore she'd have to continue living as a slave for on his property for another year. So she was obviously fucking pissed, but she was like, okay, fine. My hand was injured for, let's say, four months. Maybe I didn't work that well for four months. I'm going to work my ass off for the next four months, and then I'm getting the fuck out of here. And so that's what she did. She ended up working like relentlessly and uh, was spinning wool. So she spun 100 pounds of wool, which she believed was equivalent to like the amount of work that he claimed she'd lost during her hand injury, which she didn't feel she could run away until she'd made up that work. Right. Which, again, is just horrific. and. Yeah. Not a blame on her by any means, but just no. proof of, like, this mental abuse and manipulation and gaslighting that was occurring on a daily basis that she would think that she actually literally had to make up the work before she could run away. So she took off with her youngest child, Sophia. And it's fucked up because she had to leave all her other kids behind. And the reason why she had to do that is because those other kids were older. I think they were, like, middle school age, you know, maybe, like, 10 to 16 or something. 
And they were not, like, under the Emancipation Order of New York, they were not legally free until they had served up to 20 years old of age. And Sophia was an infant. And so she wasn't, uh, she didn't, like, she wasn't tied to any legal laws because she was still under the age of before it went into effect. So she knew she could leave with Sophia and not be, like, tracked down by the police for, like, breaking actual legal laws. But if she would left with all her other kids, the police would come for her because she'd broken, like, state law. But, like, imagine having, like, even if she could, imagine having to, like, leave and take fucking all those kids with her. Right. I mean, it. there's no chance that all of them would have made it out. Oh, no way. But also just, like, the complete devastation of having to make a decision like that. Right, knowing, right. just knowing what you'd already been through your whole life and right. knowing that your kids would go through it too, but you couldn't save them from that. Absolute just horror. That's terrible. So she leaves with Sophia and then after she escaped, she found her way to New Paltz, New York, where she and her daughter Sophia were taken in as free people by Isaac and Maria Van Wagenen. So, of course, her psychotic old slave owner, John Dumont, knew she vanished and went on this huge witch hunt to find her. And he somehow was able to figure out where she was. So he showed up at this family's house to be like, give me my slave back. And the Van Wagenens were like, nah, that's not going to happen. But they knew that legally they couldn't just keep her. So they basically were like, okay, how about this? We will pay you one year's worth of her services because she skipped town a year before the emancipation order was to happen. So technically you only have one year left with her. We'll buy that from you. So he was like, okay, cool. $20. No fucking way, dude. The cost of one year's worth of her service as a slave on his farm. Insane. That's Oh my gosh, that's disgusting. It's absolutely horrific. So they paid the 20 bucks and her and her daughter got to live as free people after that point. So thank God for that. She was free. Literally, she was free. It was over. The nightmare was fucking finally over. So shortly after this, the New York anti-slavery law was passed And Isabella found out through the grapevine that her fucking psychotic ex-slave owner, John Dumont, illegally sold her five-year-old son to a man in Alabama. So they should have all been freed. And he still, like, tried to, like, on the black market, sell a five-year-old kid to some sack of shit in Alabama. And I don't know how she found out about it, but she did. So she worked with her, this family that she was living with, the Van Wagenens, to, like, we got to get him back. Like, he literally broke the law and, like, we can fight this. Yeah. And that was what she did. So they basically challenged this fool in court. They took, they, they started a lawsuit against John Dumont and sued him for selling her child after slavery you know after the like it was the emancipation order in new york was supposed to have passed so after months of legal proceedings she fucking won (laughs) and regained the custody of her son peter who of course she discovered had been badly abused by the family that he was sold to 
But this event led Isabella to becoming the first black woman to sue a white man in the United States of court and win. Fuck yeah. I support that. I love it. Yes. So amazing. She got her kid back. Now she has two kids with her. And while she was living with the Van Wagonins, she had like this life-changing religious experience and she ended up becoming a devout Christian. And so in 1829, she moved away with her son, Peter. I don't know what happened to Sophia. We don't ever hear about Sophia again after this. Oh, shit. I know. So I'm not really sure what happened there. But she left with her son, Peter, to New York City. And she became a housekeeper for an evangelist or an event. How do you say that? Evangelist? Yeah. For an evangelist preacher named Elijah Pearson. And three years later, she left that job and went to go work for a different preacher named Robert Matthews. But she, at this point, had now for, like, four years been living with, like, preachers and this, like, faith in her life made a huge impact on her to want to become a preacher. Mm -hmm. So in 1843, she became a Methodist and she changed her name to Sojourner Truth on Pentecostal Sunday or Pentecost Sunday. And she gave herself this name after she was convinced that God had called her to leave the city and go into the countryside to preach the gospel. So she packed a few of her things in a pillowcase and took off and went on a journey to speak out against slavery and oppression. Damn. Yeah. Bounced. We on the road, homies. We're going to we're going to come out here and preach this shit. That is so crazy because I feel like if I had gone through all of that shit and then. Right. I would have been like, all right, well, I'm just going to chill. Like, Right? I'm not trying to make waves, you know, but like. You know what, though? Like, I'm not a religious person. I've told that like a thousand times on this podcast. It's just not my thing. Yeah. But I do know that like, I mean, just think of like addiction in general. You know how so many rehab groups are like built around religion, Mm -hmm. like helping people like look to God and like find like internal evolute like uh purpose and meaning to rebuild themselves i feel like people who go through like really severe traumatic things god is like whether you were religious or not it's like the one thing that you can really reach out to that will always be there and it will help kind of like rewire the brain a little bit yeah like heal the internal like parts of you that are completely empty and so I feel like that's kind of what happened here, where she was so beaten and battered, and this family was very religious, and so she, like, found a lot of comfort in that that preaching. Yeah. So, yeah, she went out there and did the thing. Now, this is really annoying to me, because one of the first things that happened to her when she went out on this journey of preaching was that she somehow stumbled upon basically a religious cult. That's what I'm going to call it. It might not have been that. So don't fact check me, people. But based off what I read, I feel like it sounds like a religious cult. So she ended up living or uh, stumbling upon Millerite Adventist camp meetings. And the Millerites were a religious group. And they followed the teachings of a man named William Miller, who was a New Yorker. And he preached that Jesus would appear in 1844 and end the world. (laughs) Which is like, 
I feel like it's like what every weird cult is about. It, oh, like for some sure. big giant epiphany, huge things gonna happen at this date and this time, you know. And we are, we're all living our lives until that day comes, and yes. then woohoo, you know the the whatever the reckoning. What do they call it? Like the rapture. <laughs> something's gonna happen on that day, you know. We're all gonna evaporate. Yeah. <laughs> So she ended up with the Millerite community somehow, and they really liked her. <laughs> they were like, oh, we love you. You have great preachings. We love your singing. Like, she fit in there for sure. And it sort of kickstarted her, like, public speaking of, like, being in front of this audience of people and, like, preaching her word. So that's kind of how she got her start. But then, of course, 1844 came around and the world didn't end. So people were like, what? <laughs> Why y'all aren't dead yet? Like... We've been building up to this day for fucking years. Like, what do you mean? And so she herself was really disappointed and was just kind of like, well, now I got played, you know? And so she distanced herself from the group. She like basically ended those friendships that she'd made on the group. And then she went off again on her merry way. And so she found herself in Massachusetts, and she ended up joining an abolitionist organization called the Northampton Association of Education and Industry, where she met leading abolitionists such as Frederick Douglass. And this effectively launched her career as an equal rights activist. So this group that she'd found, the second group where Frederick Douglass was also associating, it had like a four-year run. And... They're a little community, like, built up to a total of 240 members. They lived on 470 acres of land. They raised livestock. They had a sawmill and they had a silk factory. So, like, they literally had their own, like, little community. Yeah, it's like a compound. It is, right? And she lived there. And so she... It really was kind of like that, uh, like a commune where everybody kind of did their own work and they raised each other's kids and shit like that. So she worked there and her main job was overseeing the laundry. And she became really close friends with many abolitionists within the group who encouraged her to deliver her very first anti-slavery speech. So she did that. It was a huge hit. And then she started dictating her memoirs to her friend Olive Gilbert. So because she couldn't read or write, she was basically telling, like, all of her memories to, like, this friend who was then writing it out for her. And this ended up being published into her book, which took place in 1850, and it was called The Narrative of Sojourner Truth, A Northern Slave. And that was privately published in her name. So, so cool. It's out there. It still exists. You can get it. You can read it. Really incredible. And then a year later, one of the greatest things in her entire life or career as an activist took place. And that happened in yo hometown, Ohio. Okay. At a women's rights convention. Yes. So she showed up and was like, here I am. I'm going to speak the truth. And she gave a very powerful uh, speech about equal rights for black women. So this speech is known as being titled Ain't I a Woman? Yes. And it's one of her most wildly famous speeches that is associated with her and all she's done in her lifetime. It's so good. Yes. I, I teach it. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, so cool. 
So do you know like the weird like controversy around it? Yes, but explain to the people. So there's a like historians are challenging things about this speech and it's largely due to the fact that like when the actual speech happened it was like documented by a reverend named Marius Robinson. But then like 12 years later some other dude who was an abolitionist like republished this speech but he like gave it this title ain't i a woman he kind of tweaked a little bit of the verbiage and the only reason why they believe he tweaked some of the verbiage is because like the second version of the speech had like a lot of language that would have reflected somebody with like a southern twang about them yep and she wasn't from the fucking south at all she lived in new york and she grew up dutch like she remember she only spoke dutch she had to learn english so at no point in her entire life did she ever live in the south or would have been around people with a southern accent she would have never developed that southern accent that would have resulted in a speech being transcripted with a southern accent in it so the Ain't I a Woman title is associated to the second generation speech of hers. But because there are, there's like, you know, uh, arguments as to like the validity of everything in that second generation speech, we aren't 100% sure if the Ain't I a Woman title is actually factually related to her right. original speech. Right. So it, it, it's all argument. I think it's still an argument today. You know, one person says this, another person says that. History is fighting about it. We don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know. But I felt I would share with you guys the original speech that they do have recorded from the reverend who was there when it was first announced out loud. Mm -hmm. And I will read that out loud to you. Okay, so this is the speech. I want to say a few words about this matter. I am a woman's rights. I have as much muscle as any man and can do as much work as any man. I have plowed and reaped and husked and chopped and mowed. And can any man do more than that? I have heard much about the sexes being equal. I can carry as much as any man and can eat as much too, if I can get it. I am as strong as any man that is now. As for intellect, all I can say is, if a woman have a pint and a man a quart, Why can't she have a little pint full? You need not be afraid to give us our rights for fear we will take too much, for we can't take more than our pint will hold. The poor men seems to be all in confusion and don't know what to do. Why, children, if you have women's rights, give it to her and you will feel better. You will have your own rights and they won't be so much trouble. I can't read, but I can hear. I have heard the Bible and have learned that Eve caused man to sin. Well, if women upset the world, do give her a chance to set it right side up again. The lady has spoken about Jesus, how he never spurned women from him, and she was right. When Lazarus died, Mary and Martha came to him with faith and love and besought him to raise their brother. And Jesus wept and Lazarus came forth. And how came Jesus into the world? Through God who created him and the woman who bore him. Man, where was your part? But (laughs) that's my favorite part. (laughs) That's my favorite part in the whole speech. (laughs) But the women are coming up, blessed be God, and a few of the men are coming up with them. 
But man is in a tight place. The poor slave is on him. Woman is coming on him. He is surely between a hawk and a buzzard. So that was her her speech. She told them. <laughs> I do think it's so funny, though, that she says, like, man, what was you? your involvement? Right. God created man and woman created human. So uh, where, where did you come into the mix? Correct. <laughs> How did you get so high and mighty? Right. You weren't, then, even, like, you weren't even involved in the story. Then leave it to Amanda to take her fucking speech and say, I wrote this. Right? insane so she's this is one of the most famous speeches that she has it's you'll hear about it when you hear about her so that was it and again lots of weird nuances about what the factuality of it later in life but that was her original speech it's amazing so over the next 10 years she spoke before hundreds of audiences and became a well-known figure, leading women's rights activists. She spoke at abolition conventions, equal rights conventions, women's suffrage conventions, and conventions that were known as Negro Freedom. She spent the remainder of her life fighting for a more equal society for Black people and for women. And many historians today consider her a leading figure in addressing intersecting social justice issues. So, like, at this time, most women's rights activists were white women. Yep. Just fighting for women's rights. That's Mm -hmm. all. But she was a woman who was also a formerly enslaved black woman. So she's not only fighting for women's rights she's fighting for black women's rights which is a whole nother playing field than any other white woman out there on a podium right and so a historian named martha jones wrote quote when a black woman like truth spoke of rights they mixed their ideas with challenges to slavery and to racism truth told her own stories ones that suggested that a women's movement might take another direction one that championed the broad interest of all humanity and so that's where this like intersectional feminism comes into play of like there are so many things involved here and yeah like that like there's it's usually never just one thing like most people belong even today belong to numerous categories of potential injustice it's it's usually not just a one stream thing and so a lot of historians kind of give her this credit of bringing this to light and so once the civil war began she switched her focus and began recruiting black soldiers for the war she worked in washington dc for the national freedmen's relief association and she rallied people to donate food clothes and other supplies for black refugees And her activism gained huge attention, none other than President Abraham Lincoln, who invited her to the White House and showed her a Bible that was given to him by black people. (laughs) He's like, welcome to my home. Let me show you this Bible that was gifted to me by one of yours. You know what I mean? He's like one of those people that are like, yeah, I'm not racist. I have black friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like. It's my Bible. <laughs> I can't. He probably took that shit. And I was like, it's mine now. Right? Oh, my God. 
while she was in Washington, like, shooting the shit at the White House with Abe Lincoln, she went and, like, hung out around town for a little bit. And she was like, well, I just got invited to the White House by the president. So fuck y'all. I'm getting on the white only streetcars. Yeah, fuck it. And so she did. She got, she was riding the white only streetcars. Like, here I am in the hood, babies. What are you going to do about it? Like, she wasn't fucking around out there. Um, I love it. Yeah. So after the Civil War ended, she ended up working tirelessly for years to help out the poverty stricken, freed black Americans find jobs. So that's kind of what she did in her later life. And then she ended up moving. She ended up, like, slowing down after this. She's like, all right, I'm getting old. Like, I've done a lot of work here. So in 1867, she moved to Battle Creek, Michigan, where a couple of her children lived. I don't know which ones. I believe it was just her daughters. I don't know if it was Sophia, the infant that kind of, like, vanished off the story and, like, halfway through. Maybe the rapture took her. Yeah, I don't don't know. I know for sure it wasn't her son, Peter, because he ended up literally vanishing in this story. He, like ended up going into the Navy or something like that. And they exchanged a couple of letters back and forth and then never heard from him again. So he obviously died at some point that he was away on this boat. So she went to Michigan and met up with a couple of her daughters who now at this point had grandchildren. So they were all living together in Michigan. And while she was there, she continued to speak out against discrimination. She continued to advocate for women's suffrage. But at this point in her life, in her elderly years, she started to, like, think about some shit and was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Oh, God. (laughs) And she became especially vocal about the fact that certain civil rights leaders, such as Frederick Douglass... And specifically around the fact that she started to think to herself, wait a minute, y'all have been advocating for the rights of men far more than the rights of women. And so this was kind of like a theme that was playing in her brain and in her advocacy in her later years where she was kind of addressing some of these issues, which again, this is 18, like 70s. We still see this in the 1960s when fucking Coretta Scott King is looking at her husband, Martin Luther King Jr., and is like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah. Yeah. So how nuts that 1867 to 1960, not shit has changed in that area. And like, even now. Yeah. Frederick Douglass was actually like, after like, learning more about him in my own like education aside from like what our history books taught us like he was actually low-key a piece of shit and like <laughs> i don't really fuck well with it's him. kind of too how like no one likes everybody likes to kind of ignore the fact that martin luther king cheated on his wife like countless 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 times right and they're like coined as this like amazing married couple no this these this beautiful married couple the face of the civil rights movement oh my god martin and coretta they're no. a beautiful couple still it's a like, shit um he cheated on her over and over again yes yes what do you mean i mean and of course these are all just little 
gaps right, in right. life isn't a Disney Channel original movie. No. I fucking know that. Believe yeah. me, my life is a shitstorm. I don't expect everybody's life to be perfect. I just think it's important that we recognize the areas, these areas that occurred in some of the greatest leaders mm-hmm. of our lives. They weren't perfect. No. Just and not all civil rights activism was equal. Mm-mm. Not all women's rights activism was equal. None of it. Just back to your story. Not all LGBTQ plus rights are equal. No, no. It's so bananas. <laughs> right? Like, how can you like advocate for some but not for all? Like that shit just something is not adding up. Because it's this never ending need to be above another. It's so gross. It's just this constant need for competition, for validation, for feeling like you're inferior, mm-hmm. superior to others. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can be superior to others is if people are below you. Yep. Ugh. So, yeah, that's kind of what she was thinking about in her later life, looking back on just like all the people she'd met, all the work she'd done, you know, all the stuff. And so that's those are the themes that were kind of running in her brain at this time period. And so she ended up dying at home. On November 26, 1883, at 86 years old, but for some weird reason, her tombstone said 105. (laughs) I don't know why, but they claimed she was 105 when she died. However, historians believe she was 86. So ingrained on her tombstone is the words, is God dead? Which was a question that she once asked Frederick Douglass to remind him to have faith. Hmm. And Sojourner left behind a legacy of courage, faith, and constantly fighting for what's right and honorable. But she also left behind a legacy of words and songs that are included in her autobiography that we should all read. So I'm also going to link that in the show notes. It's like, I just feel like with books and history, sometimes I just like want that shit in my house. Yeah. You know? For sure. Like, I want to, like, I want it to be 2022 and me to have, like, just, like, recognition of just, like, the importance that occurred in history here in my home. I feel that. I just, like, dream to have, like, a massive library one day in my house. Like Belle from Beauty and the Beast? Because that's what I think about. You get one of those giant ladders and, like, slide across. I'd love it. And then, of course, to end on a quote, she says, Children. Who made your skin white? Was it not God? Who made mine black? Was it not the same God? Am I to blame, therefore, because my skin is black? Does God love colored children as well as white children? And did not the same Savior die to save one as well as the other? Yes, Sojourner. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. So that's her life. That is her life. What a baddie. What a baddie. And I just think her story is one that so many other people went through that we'll never hear about, know their names, know their experience, know what their family went through. And that's a complete travesty. But I mean, I guess we just have to look at her story and like Harriet Tubman's stories and other stories of people, men and women, who were enslaved in our country and just... Like, thank them for the fact that, that, yeah, that they yeah. went through that crazy shit. Because there's, there's no fucking way. There's no way. Yeah. 
really, really hard. And then again, like the point you make, how do you live that kind of a life and then go on to just like do all this shit? Yeah. And like help all these other people. That's wild. I get like you said, like I want to like I need help. Like I need to lay down and like (laughs) mourn, mourn what I've gone through, grieve the life that was ripped away from me, my children, Mm -hmm. like all this shit. Like, that's exhausting. I almost feel like it's almost like a coping method of, like, if you stop and reflect and try and heal, then, like, you're wasting time of, like, being able to make change. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost just, like, we did it. Like, there's no going back. Like, let's just heal by trying to fix what we can with the amount of time we have left. And I feel like that's why I, like... I don't know, advocate for the things that I advocate for because I'm like, okay, like I didn't always have it easy. I'm not saying like I was a slave. I was not a slave. But like I've gone through enough and like to be able to like help my students in a way that like I didn't have the help, like that's what it's all about, I guess. Right? It's hard. I agree. It is what it is. That was a good one. our, Our Pride Juneteenth episode. That was so good so good two baddies i mean i feel like you definitely introduced somebody that at least was super new to me i'd never heard of and i was able to kind of introduce a more historical figure that i'm sure people have heard of did you know everything about her life like now that you've heard it no no i literally knew like what our history books taught us about her like she was a slave she was free she, right? she was like the bullet points yeah literally five bullet points literally. yeah i know yeah. that's how it was for me too and i feel like i've heard a lot more details about harriet tubman which was kind of why like i personally want to learn more about sojourner truth yeah. so yeah for sure let's see like what what's happening here but i still really want to cover harriet yeah obviously yes i love harriet it, that's a that's a must a must which i already like started reading more in depthly in her story mm-hmm. and i'm just like Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I can't. Wild. It is wild. That was so good. Number four, baby. Yes. In the pocket. Yes. Great job. Number four. Killed it per usual. 3007. I'm coming back. Fuck yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. You just, you know how it works. You just tell me. It's time. We're doing it. Deal. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Mimosa Sisterhood. I really hope that you enjoyed learning about these remarkable women in history who made such huge impacts on the world. As a reminder, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts as it's the easiest, quickest, and most effective way to show your support for this show. Your written reviews and your five-star ratings are a huge help in getting us more visibility and potentially helping us get on the front page of Apple Podcasts so that we can reach people out there in the world that currently don't know that we exist. So if you have some time today, it would mean the absolute world to me and know that your support never goes unnoticed. Well, I love you all so, 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 so dearly, and I will see you on the other side. Bye.